Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Dr. Risha Desai. Over the past two years, we've been keeping close track of the evolution and adoption of healthcare technologies in the U.S., but today we're going to explore what's happening in Europe, and specifically in Germany. Our guest is Tobias Silberzahn, a partner at McKinsey & Company in Berlin and leader of the company's global health tech network. His educational background is in biochemistry and specifically immunology. So much to go through today with you. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you for the invitation, Rishi. It's uh, really awesome to be here. Looking forward to the discussion. Fantastic. So I guess to, to dive right in, I'd like to just start with getting to know a bit more about you, what got you first interested in science and specifically biochem and immunology, which is an area that uh, I majored in in college. So I'm really excited to hear that you were interested in that as well. Cool. Well, yes, indeed. I'm originally a biochemist, immunologist and uh, did cancer research uh, originally. And uh, that was inspired by my family since uh, we have had quite our share of cancer and so therefore I thought it would be good to contribute towards um, getting more people with cancer cured. Do you have a mentor in your life like when you were growing up that opened the door for this sort of stuff for you and made you think that this could be an area you might be interested in? Uh, That's a great question. Um, Not at this stage um, but uh, when I then later thought that um, maybe going beyond basic research and thinking about more uh, how things work at health system level or healthcare innovation level overall, but uh, then I I did have a mentor who then opened the door for me and um, introduced me to pharmaceutical research and development and digital health and um, that person, you know, I'm still working with him um, more than 10 years later, and it has been um, sort of, you know, not only the person who opened the door for me, but also the person who then personally inspired me and, and also encouraged me to move on that path and actually uh, take on responsibility myself. That's remarkable. You know, one of the things that I found is a common theme is is good mentorship kind of opens a lot of doors for people and uh, allows people to imagine possibilities that they couldn't imagine on their own. Do you mind just sharing a little bit more about exactly maybe how you met your mentor and and what about them got you excited about this field? I think it was on the one hand, sort of it's just personal leadership, trusting in people and trusting also that young people can make a positive difference. And um, so there was that personal dimension and, and personal leadership dimension there, but also uh, surprisingly, he was also a biochemist. Then the thinking of how to move from basic research to actually life science innovation and then also combining that with digital health and getting it into the health system right or if i now sort of take a step back and uh, since you mentioned germany right we have now the question how do we want to combine four puzzle pieces number one our traditional medical interventions that have been there for many decades number two the 25-ish digital health interventions that are now coming right from online appointment booking to teleconsultation to digital therapeutics right number three the whole piece around prevention sleep nutrition fitness stress management and then number four, the whole piece around precision medicine, right? The genomics-based medicine. And, and how do we bring those four things together for improved health and well-being of citizens, right? I think that's a big question right now in Germany, but I would say also in, in most other countries. Do you mind then walking me through what got you 
to be able to navigate that. So a lot of folks are doing basic science, can do basic science research, but aren't sure how to navigate getting into digital technologies and things that impact people on a daily life. So what was your journey like into that space? My personal journey has been very much like um, that of sort of a, a busy person doing lots of stuff. And, uh, you know, then I personally just realized that, you know, I don't feel great on a Monday. I don't feel very good on a Tuesday. I don't feel terribly well on a Wednesday. Right. And so I was like, why is that? Right. I'm, I'm married to a great woman. I have a great family. I love my job. Right. Why do I feel not very well uh, most of the time? Right. That was uh, almost 10 years ago. And and then I got into, you know, stress management and coaching and, and mindfulness and meditation. And, and from that, I got into sleep right, and, um, and improving my sleep. And after that, I got into nutrition. And finally, I also sort of got more into fitness and, and then trying to wrap it all together. And, uh, you know, for me, that was now almost 10 year trial and error journey, right? You could also say a bit of biohacking and, um, and finding my own micro habits. And then on the one hand, led to me working with a team within our own company and thinking about what should be our health and well-being program for our few thousand employees in, in Germany and Austria, right? But it has also then led um, to me doing a lot more work in the digital health space, right? And really thinking about digital health from a citizen perspective, how can digital health benefit an ordinary, let's say, citizen or an ordinary patient, right? And that's then often more about real engagement, convenience, and also fun, right? And less about interoperability and sort of technical topics that are often being discussed in the industry. Do you feel like that kind of biohacking that you did for yourself, where you kind of did a, an exploration of sleep and meditation and, and nutrition and exercise, is that culturally becoming more normalized in Germany? Do you notice a lot of people kind of thinking along those lines? And, and if so, when did that really begin uh, in Germany or in Europe uh, more broadly? Yeah, great question. Um, thinking about it, I, I feel that um, a lot of that started with the wearables, right? Um, where then people sort of started becoming more aware of tracking some parameters. And then it's, uh, it's also now a bit of an additional push, of course, via the whole tragedy of uh, of COVID, where then people, especially on the mental health side, right, feel that they need to to pay closer attention to staying in a let's say in a positive mind frame, right, and and getting to what we in our health and well-being program describe as micro habits, right, that help you be happy and healthy uh, during your week or, or during your life. Do you think that these micro habits are, are these things that are gaining more and more traction in Europe or do you feel like you're seeing this from your perspective around the world and, and is Europe maybe ahead of the curve behind the curve kind of at par like what is your sense of where Europe fits with this uh, relative to the rest of the world if I look at broader health and well-being offerings right I feel that currently in Europe there is a, quite a bit of interest to tackle those topics on the employer level and then bringing health and well-being more as a almost like a skill in some places, right, where then people are equipped to be happier and, and healthier and more balanced than they used to be. And, um, and there is quite a bit uh, going on the employment level. I feel that if I then look more towards the digital health world and digital health sort of multi-service offerings, right, like tying together 
online appointment booking, teleconsultation, digital therapeutics, chronic disease management, remote monitoring, electronic patient records, and so on. But there I feel that Asia is, um, is actually moving uh, quite quickly in that space because they have several of those digital health ecosystems where there are already, I would say, 300 plus million people as part of a broader ecosystem. And then digital health is part of such multi-service offerings, part of such an ecosystem, right? And there I would say Europe is, um, is further behind because the health infrastructure, right, like built infrastructure like hospitals, et cetera, they are much more dense and much more available than in many parts of Asia. And therefore there is less pressure to uh, create those digital health ecosystems. That's really interesting. I Do you mind just citing, um, like, are there specific examples in Asia that you've noticed as being in the lead because of the infrastructure issues that you just mentioned, putting so much pressure on them to do so? There are a few examples I would mention in China, where there are several hundred million in those digital health ecosystems. And what I find interesting from a European perspective is right, they combine things that might be coming from different silos in Europe, right? They they often include provision of care as well as health insurance offerings, right? Which are two different uh, silos, you could say, in European healthcare, right? And I think similarly, we, we see some of those digital health ecosystems um, emerging in India, where it's then also, you could say, a virtualization approach, right? Where then some of the health-related institutions in India, right, they feel that today they are serving a certain amount of people that are in driving distance of their institution, right? And for them now, such a digital health ecosystem that brings together different things from teleconsultation to online pharmacy to diagnostics at home actually helps to expand access also into areas where they as an institution are not or where people then generally have less access to high quality health services. Now, there's a phrase that I think is important uh, for me to fully understand and, and for our listeners too, which is digital health ecosystem. You've used it a number of times. And I want to make sure I'm hearing your explanation of it. So the classic model, let's call it, is let's say I have diabetes. It's very poorly managed. I see my doctor. I drive to my doctor's appointment. I go there maybe every three months. They check my hemoglobin A1C and and maybe it keeps climbing upwards. And they tell me, you know, Rishi, you should eat better. You should exercise. I go home. I don't eat better. I don't exercise. And of course, my A1C gets worse and worse. That's one model. Um, what does the digital health ecosystem model look like for that kind of patient? What would they be wearing? Uh, how often would they check in? What would be different? Do you mind just walking through that with me? Sure, happy to. And thank you for bringing that up, right? Uh, I feel the terms platforms and ecosystems are sort of widely used, right? And, and a lot of people understand very different things. And so when I now use the word ecosystem, right, I, I think of it as an interconnected set of services, right, through which then citizens or users can fulfill their needs in one integrated experience, right? And, um, you know, if, um, if I would sort of just use an example, three or four years ago, we would have point solutions for digital health, right? So I would have one app for online appointment booking. I would have another app for medication management. I would have a third app for the teleconsultation. I would have a fourth app for the online pharmacy, right? And I would have a fifth app that would be my electronic patient record, right? And when I talk about these uh, digital health ecosystems in India, then it is an interconnected set of services, right? And a lot of what leads to the 
adoption in, in the research that um, also we've done on these ecosystems is that they are built around citizen convenience, right? And um, so if I walk that through, right, it could mean that I'm, if we take the diabetes example, right, if we think that I'm a diabetes patient, then I usually would have some sort of, of wearable and I could be part of a patient remote monitoring program. Right. And then I would submit my uh, blood glucose level or HbA1c levels regularly. I would also submit my weight regularly and uh, maybe even my steps and maybe even my sleep. Right. And, um, and now I'll quickly turn uh, futuristic. Right. But, you know, today that allows them that a doctor either then looks at that and gives me sort of coaching advice. Right. And saying that, uh, you know, to be on a better track, why don't you try X or Y? Right. But what I'm also quite excited about is that you then can uh, link digital therapeutics or, or chronic disease management programs into this, where then maybe it's not the doctor coming up with the tips uh, based on the data that they see, but it's also a program built on cognitive behavioral therapy, right, and nudging and, um, and gamification that actually keeps me on track in a fun way, right, and not in that way that a, a very serious doctor intervenes and say you need to do X and Y, right? So I think that is sort of what we see today, right, and in the future, of course, um, the the more futuristic stuff is that we then can also go towards disease prediction and interception, and that, of course, would work in a way that if I use certain wearables that then would track my sleep, my heart rate, my uh, maybe soon my continuous blood pressure monitoring, which is sort of on the horizon, right, and other things. And then, Rishi, if you would, would run that program, you would be able then to say, well, based on Tobias's sleep pattern, fitness pattern, heart rate pattern, blood pressure pattern, right, you can build a relatively simple algorithm already today. Right, where you then say, well, if he continues on that track, there is a high chance that he will have diabetes in five years or a certain chance that he will have a heart failure in five years. And then the beautiful thing is that you then can intervene right, and say, look, uh, Tobias, you are on that track, but actually let us try X, Y, Z to actually intercept here right, and don't get down that path. Right? And I think that is uh, one of the cooler things <laughs> on the horizon. This is uh, very, very interesting. <laughs> and I love the example that you're offering because... I'm imagining a scenario where I, let's say I'm your doctor and I see heart rate went up, blood pressure went up, uh, you know, you woke up out of your sleep and I would know that you had a nightmare. You know, I, I would know that based on the data. And a lot of people I would imagine would say, well, that's the kind of information I really don't want my doctor to just know, or I don't want out there in the data. You know, I don't want my data on, on things that are that private to be out there. And I'm curious in Germany specifically, what is your sense on people's attitudes towards their personal data being used? What you're describing makes perfect sense. Better diabetes management. Very few people would argue against that. But I can also imagine a lot of people being concerned about this and, and the ramifications of it. And we always hear about data breaches and things like that. So what is your sense of the general populace's willingness to be part of this sort of new way of taking care of themselves? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. From my perspective, and also from a person that runs a health and well-being program for a few thousand people, right? I guess it's a customer segmentation question, right? You know, there are people who are extremely interested in that and are, are really grateful and looking forward that they finally found something that helps them feel better or be better, right? Then there are people who, 
when it comes to health and well-being, right? They might say, oh, I've tried this, I've tried that, and it didn't work, and I'm frustrated and leave me alone, um, right? And then there are other people where it depends on the situation, and, um, and they want to, of course, be in the driver's seat, right? And uh, so I think there are two pieces of things I want to share from a German perspective right now. On the one hand, there have been surveys uh, from the population, uh, also another one just uh, going to be read out, a large one in May, asking people, so how are you feeling about your health data, tracking your health data and sharing your health data? Actually, a very large percentage even said, and, and I think that was more than 50% in a survey last year, I would donate my health data if it is for a good cause like helping with healthcare innovation or, or finding cures to diseases, right? Even if it doesn't benefit themselves, right? In a data donation kind of mindset, right? And that was surprising to many. Um, I think the other part is, and, and that is now a discussion that is currently being had in Germany about the, the public uh, electronic patient record, right? So in Germany, there is a law that every public health insurance needs to provide an electronic patient record to every insured citizen. Right. And now there is currently being a discussion on the one hand, sort of what are the use cases? How does this electronic patient record benefit then the citizens and patients in real life? Right. Um, and then there is a second discussion around the data management and also the granularity of data management. Right. And uh, I, I feel that the public debate is sort of going in the direction of saying that citizens having granular data management rights and also granular data access rights towards certain other stakeholders, right? So it could be that because I like Dr. Rishi very much, I give him full access to all my health data, but there might be another person that I don't like as much as I like Rishi, right? And then I only partially share my data, right? But I'm in the driver's seat. So that's a, a bit um, the discussion that uh, I see in Germany, but also in Europe more broadly when it comes to health data management and also health data sharing. That makes a ton of sense. And obviously this is a, a very moving target right now as people are kind of, I think for the first time, really thinking hard about what their data even means and who owns it and things like that. So I think that's very logical. I, I'm curious, you know, we are a teaching company uh, and so we're always looking for angles to teach people and you obviously have a lot of experience here. What is something that you think is a myth or a misunderstanding that you'd like to clear up for me or for our audience just about what you do and what you've seen, especially in the German context? Well, I, I would say in the German context, right, there's been a lot of discussion in the last two years about the digital therapeutics regulation and reimbursement in Germany, right, where a lot of people have been talking about this integrated regulatory reimbursement process. Um, and of course, that for a digital therapeutics category, right, uh, have software with a medical effect, right, in the US, one often talks about software as a medical device. But I think that is actually something that is promising. Right, because at the end of the day, right, and, and you know that as a, as a doctor much better than me, right, at the end of the day, a lot of related to health and well-being is about sustainable behavior change, right? Sustainable behavior change in terms of sleep, sustainable behavior change in terms of nutrition, fitness, stress management, right? And, um, and so in that sense, um, 
I feel there's been a lot of focus on one category of digital health, but overall there are 25 plus categories of digital health, right? It, it goes from digital therapeutics to patient remote monitoring, disease management. So in that sense, I, I feel that there has been a bit of a misunderstanding that people were zoning in very much on digital therapeutic last year and teleconsultation the year before, right? But I think the real thing will come with health literacy improvement, right? And there, I think I'm very excited about that topic. And then also about sort of more an integrated health management or an integrated uh, disease management. I guess on that note, then, do you have any parting advice to offer the folks in our audience that are going to be clinicians down the road in terms of how to navigate this new uh, way of delivering care? Uh, what, what should they be aware of as they start their careers? I would say some of the interesting things that I've seen um, in the past years was health and well-being promoted on city level, right? So often people seem to think about national level, right? And sort of what is the legislation? Some of the most interesting things I've seen in recent years have actually happened on city level, right? So for example, the city of Amsterdam in the Netherlands has done, in my point of view, a great job where then people in the city said, how do we want to promote health and well-being for the inhabitants of our city, right? And they set themselves crazy goals where they are not even sure whether they can be reached, right? A, a very un-German thing, by the way. Um, and then they think about, you know, what is the strategy that we can actually pull off, right? What are the five things, six things, seven things that we reach this crazy goal in terms of health and well-being of our population? And then they create a sort of multi-stakeholder alliance, you could say, right? There's people from the, the public service, then there are industry, NGOs, social workers, etc., to actually move towards that. And they then go into schools, they then go into sports clubs, and, um, and they actually get to the people where they are, right? So that's a bit like um, where I love to think um, about uh, getting into the more unusual settings, right? How can we promote health and well-being on city level? How can we promote health and well-being in schools, for example, right? So that we uh, we move towards the right direction very early instead of waiting until we all have massive problems <laughs> 50, 60 years old, and then we try to cure things. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense and, and certainly offers a sort of systems approach, which uh, in so many ways feels very European <laughs> in the sense of kind of thinking about prevention much more than thinking about treatment down the road. So I appreciate that. Listen, speaking to you has been wonderful and, and I really enjoyed it and, and learned a lot. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Rishi. It's been a pleasure and thanks for having me. Well, listen, I'm Rishi Desai. Thanks for checking out today's show. Remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line. We're all in this together. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast. <laughs>